of three dialogues between Hylas and Philonus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. Three dialogues between Hylas and Philonus in opposition to skeptics and atheists by George Barclay. The second dialogue. Phil. Well, then, are you at length satisfied that no sensible things have a real existence, and that you are in truth an errant skeptic? Hyle, it is too plain to be denied. Phil. Look, are not the fields covered with a delightful verdure? Is there not something in the woods and groves, in the rivers and clear springs, that soothes, that delights, that transports the soul? At the prospect of the wide and deep ocean, or some huge mountain whose top is lost in the clouds, or of an old gloomy forest, are not our minds filled with a pleasing horror? Even in rocks and deserts is there not an agreeable wildness? How sincere a pleasure is it to behold the natural beauties of the earth, to preserve and renew our relish for them? Is not the veil of night alternately drawn over her face, and doth she not change her dress with the seasons? How aptly are the elements disposed! What variety and use in the meanest productions of nature! What delicacy, what beauty, what contrivance in animal and vegetable bodies! How exquisitely are all things suited, as well to their particular ends, as to constitute opposite parts of the whole! And, while they mutually aid and support, do they not also set off and illustrate each other? Raise now your thoughts from this ball of earth to all those glorious luminaries that adorn the high arch of heaven. The motion and situation of the planets, are they not admirable for use and order? Were those, bracket, miscalled erratic, close bracket, globes, once known to stray, in their repeated journeys through the pathless void? Do they not measure areas round the sun ever proportioned to the times? So fixed, so immutable are the laws by which the unseen author of nature actuates the universe. How vivid and radiant is the luster of the fixed stars! How magnificent and rich that negligent profusion with which they appear to be scattered throughout the whole azure vault! Yet, if you take the telescope, it brings into your sight a new host of stars that escape the naked eye. Here they seem contiguous and minute, but, to a nearer view, immense orbs of light at various distances, far sunk in the abyss of space. Now you must call imagination to your aid. The feeble narrow sense cannot descry innumerable worlds revolving around the central fires, and in those worlds the energy of an all-perfect mind displayed in endless forms. But neither sense nor imagination are big enough to comprehend the boundless extent, with all its glittering furniture. Though the laboring mind exert and strain each power to its utmost reach, there still stands out ungrasped a surplusage, immeasurable. Yet all the vast bodies that compose this mighty frame, how distant and remote soever, are by some secret mechanism, some divine art and force, linked in a mutual dependence and intercourse with each other. Even with this earth, which was almost slipped from my thoughts and lost in the crowd of worlds, is not the whole system immense, beautiful, glorious beyond expression and beyond thought? What treatment, then, do those philosophers deserve who would deprive these noble and delightful scenes of all reality? 
how should those principles be entertained that lead us to think all the visible beauty of the creation a false imaginary glare to be plain can you expect this scepticism of yours will not be thought extravagantly absurd by all men of sense Heil. other men may think as they please but for your part you have nothing to reproach me with my comfort is you are as much a sceptic as i am phil there hylas i must beg leave to differ from you hyle what have you all along agreed to the premises and do you now deny the conclusion and leave me to maintain those paradoxes by myself which you led me into this surely is not fair phil i deny that i agreed with you in those notions that led to scepticism you indeed said the reality of sensible things consisted in an absolute existence out of the minds of spirits or distinct from their being perceived and pursuant to this notion of reality you are obliged to deny sensible things any real existence that is according to your own definition you profess yourself a sceptic but i neither said nor thought the reality of sensible things was to be defined after that manner to me it is evident for the reasons you allow of that sensible things cannot exist otherwise than in a mind or spirit whence i conclude not that they have no real existence but that seeing they depend not on my thought and have all existence distinct from being perceived by me there must be some other mind wherein they exist as sure therefore as the sensible world really exists so sure is there an infinite omnipresent spirit who contains and supports it Heil. what this is no more than i and all christians hold nay and all others who believe there is a god and that he knows and comprehends all things phil ay but here lies the difference men commonly believe that all things are known or perceived by god because they believe the being of a god whereas i on the other side immediately and necessarily conclude the being of a god because all sensible things must be perceived by him Heil but so long as we all believe the same thing what matter is it how we come by that belief phil but neither do we agree in the same opinion for philosophers though they acknowledge all corporeal beings to be perceived by god yet they attribute to them an absolute subsistence distinct from their being perceived by any mind whatever which i do not besides is there no difference between saying there is a god therefore he perceives all things and saying sensible things do really exist and if they really exist they are necessarily perceived by an infinite mind therefore there is an infinite mind or god this furnishes you with a direct and immediate demonstration from a most evident principle of the being of a god divines and philosophers had proved beyond all controversy from the beauty and usefulness of the several parts of the creation that it was the workmanship of god but that setting aside all help of astronomy and natural philosophy all contemplation of the contrivance order and adjustment of things an infinite mind should be necessarily inferred from the bare existence of the sensible world is an advantage to them only who have made this easy reflection that the sensible world is that which we perceive by our several senses and that nothing is perceived by the senses beside ideas and that no idea or archetype of an idea can exist otherwise than in a mind you may now without any laborious search into the sciences without any subtlety of reason or tedious length of discourse oppose and baffle the most strenuous advocate for atheism those miserable refuges whether in an internal succession of unthinking causes and effects 
or in a fortuitous concourse of atoms, those wild imaginations of Vanini, Hobbes, and Spinoza, in a word, the whole system of atheism, is it not entirely overthrown by the single reflection on the repugnancy included in supposing the whole, or any part, even the most rude and shapeless of the visible world, to exist without a mind? Let any one of those abettors of impiety but look into his own thoughts, and there try if he can conceive how so much as a rock, a desert, a chaos, or confused jumble of atoms, how anything at all, either sensible or imaginable, can exist independent of a mind, and he need go no farther to be convinced of his folly. Can anything be fairer than to put a dispute on such an issue, and leave it to a man himself to see if he can conceive, even in thought, what he holds to be true in fact, and from a notional to allow it a real existence? Heil, it cannot be denied there is something highly serviceable to religion in what you advance, but do you not think it looks very like a notion entertained by some eminent moderns of seeing all things in God? Phil, I would gladly know that opinion. Pray explain it to me. Heil, they conceive that the soul, being immaterial, is incapable of being united with material things, so as to perceive them in themselves, but that she perceives them by her union with the substance of God, which, being spiritual, is therefore purely intelligible, or capable of being the immediate object of a spirit's thought. Besides, the divine essence contains in it perfections correspondent to each created being, and which are, for that reason, proper to exhibit or represent them to the mind. Phil, I do not understand how our ideas, which are things altogether passive and inert, can be the essence, or any part, bracket, or like any part, close bracket, of the essence or substance of God, who is an impassive, indivisible, pure, active being. Many more difficulties and objections there are which occur at first view against this hypothesis, but I shall only add that it is liable to all the absurdities of the common hypothesis in making a created world exist otherwise than in the mind of a spirit, besides all which it hath this peculiar to itself, that it makes that material world serve to no purpose, and, if it pass for a good argument against other hypotheses in the sciences, that they suppose nature, or the divine wisdom, to make something in vain, or do that by tedious roundabout methods which might have been performed in a much more easy and compendious way, what shall we think of that hypothesis which supposes the whole world made in vain? Heil, but what say you? Are not you too of opinion that we see all things in God? If I mistake not, what you advance comes near it? Phil, few men think, yet all have opinions. Hence, men's opinions are superficial and confused. It is nothing strange that tenets which in themselves are ever so different should nevertheless be confounded with each other, by those who do not consider them attentively. I shall not therefore be surprised if some men imagine that I run into the enthusiasm of Malbranche, though in truth I am very remote from it. He builds on the most abstract general ideas, which I entirely disclaim. He asserts an absolute external world, which I deny. He maintains that we are deceived by our senses, and know not the real natures, or the true forms and figures of extended beings, of all which I hold the direct contrary, so that upon the whole there is no principles more fundamentally opposite than his and mine. It must be owned that I entirely agree with what the Holy Scripture saith. Quote, 
that in God we live and move and have our being. End quote. But that we see things in his essence, after the manner above set forth, I am far from believing. Take here in brief my meaning. It is evident that the things I perceive are my own ideas, and that no idea can exist unless it be in a mind. Nor is it less plain that these ideas or things by me perceived, either themselves or their archetypes, exist independently of my mind, since I know myself not to be their author, it being out of my power to determine at pleasure what particular ideas I shall be affected with upon opening my eyes or ears. They must, therefore, exist in some other mind, whose will it is they should be exhibited to me. The things, I say, immediately perceived are ideas or sensations. Call them which you will. But how can any idea or sensation exist in, or be produced by, anything but a mind or spirit? This indeed is inconceivable. And to assert that which is inconceivable is to talk nonsense, is it not? Heil, without doubt. Phil, but, on the other hand, it is very conceivable that they should exist in and be produced by a spirit, since this is no more than I daily experience in myself. Inasmuch as I perceive numberless ideas, and, by an act of my will, can form a great variety of them, and raise them up in my imagination, though it must be confessed these creatures of the fancy are not altogether so distinct, so strong, vivid and permanent as those perceived by my senses which latter are called red things from all which i conclude there is a mind which affects me every moment with all the sensible impressions i perceive and from the variety order and manner of these i conclude the author of them to be wise powerful and good beyond comprehension mark it well i do not say i see things by perceiving that which represents them in the intelligible substance of god this I do not understand, but I say, the things by me perceived are known by the understanding, and produced by the will of an infinite spirit. It is not all this most plain and evident? Is there any more in it, than what a little observation in our own minds, and that which passeth in them, not only enables us to conceive, but also obliges us to acknowledge? Heil, I think I understand you very clearly and own the proof you give of a deity seems no less evident than it is surprising. But, allowing that God is the supreme and universal cause of all things, yet may there not be still a third nature, besides spirits and ideas? May we not admit a subordinate and limited cause of our ideas? In a word, may there not for all that be matter? Phil, how often must I inculcate the same thing? You allow the things immediately perceived by sense to exist nowhere without the mind, but there is nothing perceived by sense which is not perceived immediately. Therefore, there is nothing sensible that exists without the mind. The matter, therefore, which you still insist on, is something intelligible, I suppose, something that may be discovered by reason, and not by sense. Heil. You are in the right. Phil. Pray, let me know what reasoning your belief of matter is grounded on, and what this matter is, in your present sense of it. Heil. I find myself affected with various ideas, whereof I know I am not the cause. Neither are they the cause of themselves, or of one another, or capable of subsisting by themselves, as being altogether inactive, fleeting, dependent beings. They have, therefore, some cause distinct from me and them, of which I pretend to know no more than that it is the cause of my ideas. This thing, whatever it be, I call matter. Phil. Tell me, Hylas, 
Hath every one a liberty to change the current proper signification attached to a common name in any language? For example, suppose a traveller should tell you that in a certain country men pass unhurt through the fire, and, upon explaining himself, you found he meant by the word fire that which others call water. Or, if he should assert that there are trees that walk upon two legs, meaning men by the term trees, would you think this reasonable? Heil. No, I should think it very absurd. Common custom is the standard of propriety in language, and for any man to affect speaking improperly is to pervert the use of speech, and can never serve to a better purpose than to protract and multiply disputes, where there is no difference in opinion. Phil, and doth not matter, in the common current acceptation of the word, signify an extended, solid, movable, unthinking, inactive substance? Heil, it doth. Phil, and hath it not been made evident that no such substance can possibly exist? And, though it should be allowed to exist, yet how can that which is inactive be a cause, or that which is unthinking be a cause of thought? You may, indeed, if you please, annex to the word matter a contrary meaning to what is vulgarly received, and tell me you understand by it an unextended, thinking, active being, which is the cause of our ideas. But what else is this than to play with words, and run into the very fault you just now condemned with so much reason? I do by no means find fault with your reasoning, in that you collect a cause from the phenomena, but I deny that the cause deducible by reason can properly be termed matter. Heil. There is indeed something in what you say, but I am afraid you do not thoroughly comprehend my meaning. I would by no means be thought to deny that God, or an infinite spirit, is the supreme cause of all things. All I contend for is, that, subordinate to the supreme agent, there is a cause of a limited and inferior nature which concurs in the production of our ideas, not by any act of will or spiritual efficiency, but by that kind of action which belongs to matter, viz. motion. Phil. I find you are at every turn relapsing into your old exploded conceit, of a movable and consequently an extended substance, existing without the mind. What? Have you already forgotten you were convinced, or are you willing I should repeat what has been said on that head? In truth, this is not fair dealing in you, still to suppose the being of that which you have so often acknowledged to have no being, but, not to insist further on what has been so largely handled, I ask whether all your ideas are not perfectly passive and inert, including nothing of action in them. Heil. They are. Phil. And are sensible qualities anything else but ideas? Heil. How often have I acknowledged that they are not? Phil. But is not motion a sensible quality? Heil. It is. Phil. Consequently, it is no action? Heil, I agree with you, and indeed it is very plain that when I stir my finger it remains passive, but my will which produced the motion is active. Phil, now I desire to know, in the first place, whether motion being allowed to be no action, you can conceive any action besides volition, and, in the second place, whether to say something and conceive nothing be not to talk nonsense, and lastly, whether, having considered the premises, you do not perceive that to suppose any efficient or active cause of our ideas, other than spirit, is highly absurd and unreasonable. Heil, I give up the point entirely, but, though matter may not be a cause, yet what hinders its being an instrument, 
subservient to the supreme agent in the production of our ideas. Phil, an instrument, say you, pray what may be the figure, springs, wheels, and motions of that instrument. Hyle, those I pretend to determine nothing of, both the substance and its qualities, being entirely unknown to me. Phil, what? You are then of opinion it is made up of unknown parts, that it hath unknown motions, and an unknown shape? Hyle, I do not believe that it hath any figure or motion at all, being already convinced that no sensible qualities can exist in an unperceiving substance. Phil, but what notion is it possible to frame of an instrument void of all sensible qualities, even extension itself? Hyle, I do not pretend to have any notion of it. Phil, and what reason have you to think this unknown, this inconceivable somewhat doth exist? Is it that you imagine God cannot act as well without it, or that you find by experience the use of some such thing when you form ideas in your own mind? How, you are always teasing me for reasons of my belief. Pray, what reasons have you not to believe it? Phil, it is to me a sufficient reason not to believe the existence of anything, if I see no reason for believing it. But, not to insist on reasons for believing, you will not so much as let me know what it is you would have me believe, since you say you have no manner of notion of it. After all, let me entreat you to consider whether it be like a philosopher, or even like a man of common sense, to pretend to believe you know not what, and you know not why. Hyle. Hold, Philonous, when I tell you matter is an instrument, I do not mean altogether nothing. It is true I know not the particular kind of instrument, but, however, I have some notion of instrument in general, which I apply to it. Phil, but what if it should prove that there is something, even in the most general notion of instrument, as taken in a distinct sense from cause, which makes the use of it inconsistent with the divine attributes? Hyle, make that appear, and I shall give up the point. Phil, what mean you by general nature, or notion of instrument? Hyle, that which is common to all particular instruments, composeth the general notion. Phil, is it not common to all instruments, that they are applied to the doing those things only, which cannot be performed by the mere act of our wills? Thus, for instance, I never use an instrument to move my finger, because it is done by a volition. But I should use one if I were to remove part of a rock, or tear up a tree by the roots. Are you of the same mind, or can you show me any example where an instrument is made use of in producing an effect immediately depending on the will of the agent? Hyle, I own I cannot. Phil, how therefore can you suppose that an all-perfect spirit, on whose will all things have an absolute and immediate dependence, should need an instrument in this operation, or not needing it, make use of it. Thus it seems to me that you are obliged to own the use of a lifeless, inactive instrument, to be incompatible with the infinite perfection of God. That is, by your own confession, to give up the point. Hyle, it doth not readily occur what I can answer you. Phil, but, methinks, you should be ready to own the truth, when it has been fairly proved to you. We indeed, who are beings of finite powers, are forced to make use of instruments, and the use of an instrument showeth the agent to be limited by rules of another's prescription, and that he cannot obtain his ends but in such a way, and by such conditions. Whence it seems a clear consequence that the supreme unlimited agent useth no tool or instrument at all. 
the will of an omnipotent spirit is no sooner exerted than executed, without the application of means, which, if they are employed by inferior agents, it is not upon account of any real efficacy that is in them, or necessary aptitude to produce any effect, but merely in compliance with the laws of nature, or those conditions prescribed to them by the first cause, who is himself above all limitation or prescription whatsoever. Heil, I will no longer maintain that matter is an instrument. However, I would not be understood to give up its existence neither, since, notwithstanding what has been said, it may still be an occasion. Phil, how many shapes is your matter to take, or how often must it be proved not to exist, before you are content to part with it? But, to say no more of this, bracket, though by all the laws of disputation I may justly blame you for so frequently changing the signification of the principal term, close bracket, I would fain know what you mean by affirming that matter is an occasion, having already denied it to be a cause, and, when you have shown in what sense you understand occasion, pray, in the next place, be pleased to show me what reason induceth you to believe there is such an occasion of our ideas. Heil. As to the first point, by occasion I mean an inactive, unthinking being, at the presence whereof God excites ideas in our minds. Phil. And what may be the nature of that inactive, unthinking being? Heil. I know nothing of its nature. Phil. Proceed then to the second point, and assign some reason why we should allow an existence to this inactive, unthinking, unknown thing. Heil. When we see ideas produced in our minds, after an orderly and constant manner, it is natural to think they have some fixed and regular occasions, at the presence of which they are excited. Phil. You acknowledge, then, God alone to be the cause of our ideas, and that he causes them at the presence of those occasions. Heil. That is my opinion. 